We're going to be in Luke chapter 1, <clears throat> so you can go ahead and uh, turn there. We're, we're doing this series called uh, The Heralds, H-E-R, not, you know, there's not a lot of heralds in the Bible. There are heralds in the Bible, and so when we talk about a, someone that heralds, we're talking about a messenger, someone that typically brings good news, a herald of good news, someone who's saying, hey, something's about to happen. Listen up. And there are many heralds in the Bible saying, listen up, something is about to happen. That's why we sing that song, Hark, the herald angels sing. Hark means listen. The herald angels, the messengers are coming singing a message that we need to hear. Something's about to happen. Last week, we saw that Isaiah is a herald by looking at Isaiah chapter 40. This week, we're going to fast forward about 500 years and look at another herald in Luke chapter 1. Really, two more in Zechariah and Elizabeth. I say we started in Isaiah. You know, we think about the Christmas story. You usually start at Luke chapter 2 with the birth narrative of Jesus. But the fact of the matter is that the Christmas, the Christmas was the climax of not just that night. It was the climax of generations of heralding buildup and waiting for the advent, the arrival of the Messiah. So the question then would be, when he did arrive, would their hearts be ready to receive him? Would they have prepared for him room, as you see on the screen behind me? Would they be prepared? Would they be willing to receive Jesus and the message that he came to proclaim? You know, just because a guest shows up at your house does not mean that by default they are welcome or that they should feel welcome. Anybody ever been a recipient of that? Well, it makes me think of Christmas vacation. <clears throat> Clark Griswold's reaction when Cousin Eddie shows up. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? He's admiring the Christmas lights alongside his wife, Ellen, his children, his parents, and it's just going to be a relaxing, conflict-free Christmas. That's the way that the movie begins, at least. And then Cousin Eddie appears, and we're going to watch that. Did, did you believe her when she said we have plenty of room? Absolutely not. And by the way, uh, if you know that movie well, you know that editing that clip was like tiptoeing through a minefield. Uh, but I did it. <laughs> edited it down. I figured I'd cut out the part about, no, I'm not going to mention it. It's... Especially the dog. If you know what I'm talking about, then you know what I'm talking about. That was the one that, that I just couldn't give to you this morning. Uh, anyway, so look, the, the point there is that just because Cousin Eddie visits does not mean that Clark and Ellen's hearts are ready to receive him, receive them. I say that because Jesus' arrival would mean nothing to man and means nothing to any of us if we do not receive him in our hearts. The fact that Jesus comes, it really means nothing if he is not received by people, Right? That's why we talk about that and sing about that. Let every heart prepare him room, because if they don't, then his coming is meaningless. Zechariah and Elizabeth, who we're going to look at this morning, are heralds. They're heralds. They're saying, get ready. Something is about to happen. He is coming. Jesus' birth narrative gets so much attention from the early chapters of Luke, but there's another baby whose birth narrative comes first and heralds Jesus' birth. The setting is that there's a guy named Zechariah who's married to a woman named Elizabeth. Zechariah was a priest, which means that he worked at the temple, and he was sort of an intercessor, a go-between for Israel, God's people, and a holy God. And so he would go as a representative and do priestly work on behalf of God's people. He would work in the temple. He would make sacrifices for the people to God. He would receive and make offerings on behalf of people. He would then even burn incense to God. His wife Elizabeth was Mary, as in the mother of Jesus. It was Mary's much older cousin. Luke 1.6 calls Elizabeth and Zechariah righteous and blameless. 
It means that there were people who walked in all the commandments of the Lord. It doesn't mean they were perfect. It doesn't mean literally that they had nothing as far as blame goes on them. It's, it's a way of them saying that they were not perfect, but they were very godly people. And yet, what we read about them is that their story highlights a couple of things. It highlights Zechariah's, not faithfulness, but his doubt. It highlights Zechariah's doubt. And then right after that, it highlights not Elizabeth's glory, but Elizabeth's personal feelings of shame because she was barren and unable to have children. So she was beyond childbearing age at least, if not well advanced in years. And so Zechariah also advanced in years. You have an elderly couple unable to have children and seemingly having never been able to have children. And we see a theme there. Already as we set the stage for the story is that there is a theme of women in the Bible that are unable to have children and God stepping in and doing something amazing and giving a powerful sign that God is ready to do something and the sign is giving a child to someone, a woman who is barren. We see this in Abraham and Sarah when they are given their baby Isaac, the child that would begin the promise. You see this in Isaac and his wife, Rebecca, and they would have the child, Jacob, whose name would be Israel, a big, meaningful birth. You see this in Jacob and Rachel, who would have Joseph, who would bless God's people. Hannah, which we talked about this morning in baby dedication, who was barren, and yet she was given Samuel, who was a prophet of God. And so this is the situation, once again, that God uses a situation of impossible life Life is not coming. It's impossible. And yet God provides life as a means of saying, it's a sign. Get ready. Something is about to happen. See, the story begins with Zechariah, a priest, once again, entering into the temple as scheduled to offer incense. Whenever he would do this, there would be many worshipers outside. He would go in on behalf of those worshipers. They would be waiting for him to come out. When he would come out, he would just talk about kind of how that went, and they would do some sort of a, a praise of some sort. And so Zechariah goes into the temple to do what he would do when it was his turn to do this. And yet this time, a herald angel appeared, Gabriel by name. Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, and in chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, it says this. <clears throat> and Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, Gabriel, troubled. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Remember, old age here. And you shall call his name John. By the way, the name John, it means Yahweh has shown favor. Yahweh has shown grace, shown his favor on them. And this is the message in saying you're going to name him John because John is a message that God has shown you favor, Zechariah. He continues, verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. <clears throat> For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Isn't that neat? That the Holy Spirit would fill this life even before the life exited the womb. A lot can be said about John's coming and about John's life, but we're going to look much more closely at him next week. For now, let's look at how God uses Zechariah and Elizabeth in this story. Well, Zechariah didn't believe the words that the, the angel Gabriel told him. I mean, they were both old, Elizabeth and Zechariah. She was barren, and so he did not believe. And as a result, Zechariah was, was given an, an infirmity. He was not able to speak. He was stripped of the ability to speak and made mute for a time until his son John by the way, this is John the Baptist, when his son John would be born. 
So Zechariah comes out of the temple after this amazing encounter, and his contemporaries that are out there waiting for him, when he comes out, they can tell, the Bible just says that they can tell something happened. And in fact, it says that they can tell that he saw something, some sort of a vision. <clears throat> but he was mute. He was making signs. And so imagine this guy, this older guy walks out, and they're like, so how did it go? And he's like, they're like, how did it go? And he's just this is kind of what's happening. He can't speak, and they're thinking, the, the gig is up. Stop joking around. What happened when you're in there? And he can't speak. And this situation unfolds to where Zechariah is given this, this infirmity, to where he cannot speak as a, as a form of sort of discipline for doubting God. And so he went home, and sure enough, Elizabeth later conceived. And yet she joyfully kept that news to herself for five months. Now look, that's sort of an introduction. What the angel reveals next about another baby to come becomes a herald message from Elizabeth and a reminder to us who seek to open our hearts. And so as we prepare him room in this unique season we call Christmas, I want to give you a couple of things to take home. Number one, we prepare him room in our hearts. Number one, for the Son, the King, and the Savior. We prepare a heart. We have a prepared heart for the Son, the King, and the Savior. <clears throat> the Son, King, and Savior. Now look, we covered those events very quickly, but five months go by. Gabriel then appears to Mary, stating that she would be pregnant and that Elizabeth already was. These guys were cousins, although different in age. Gabriel appears to Mary. <clears throat> Luke 1, 26-33, let's read it. It says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. That's going to be an important detail later considering Jesus would be the king of the lineage of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Go ahead and put that map up there if you will. <clears throat> the reason I want to put this up there, and I know it's, it's kind of hard to see, is because we got two locations that have already been mentioned here in the story. When we talk about the temple, we're talking about Jerusalem. Jerusalem is just west of the Dead Sea, so it's at the south part of that map. Uh, up there at the north, you see in the big red, bold, all caps letters, Galilee. And Nazareth is in the bottom part of that yellow little region of Galilee. The reason I say that is because you have Gabriel appearing in Jerusalem, or at least around Jerusalem, or in Jerusalem because of the temple. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth lived around Jerusalem. It says in the hill country, which we'll talk about in a second. But what's happening here is that Gabriel is now appearing some ways away in Nazareth to another person named Mary. And she's going to respond, by the way, by making the trip from Nazareth to uh, Jerusalem to talk to her, her family. Um, so let's keep going. Uh, verse 28 says, And he, that's Gabriel, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. For he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. By the way, if you're a person that underlines in your Bible, you shall call his name Jesus is really something that should stand out. Son of the Most High should stand out. Because these are descriptions, right? You'll call his name Jesus. There's a description. He's going to be Son of the Most High. That's another description. It says, and the Lord God will give him, here's the third thing, the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. These are descriptions. His name is going to be Jesus. He's going to be Son of the Most High, and he's going to be the eternal king 
of the lineage of David. It says, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. Some really neat things to take away there that Gabriel is saying. Not wasted words. He continues in verse 34 and says, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Not Joseph, but the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. Set apart, says, the Son of God. This child's different. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived. So Mary didn't know this. She's six months pregnant now, but she's been hiding it. It says, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. I love this next part. Verse 37 says, for nothing will be impossible with God. Here's why that matters. Because what Gabriel is saying to Mary is, when you go to Jerusalem and you run into your cousin Mary and you see that this older woman is carrying a child just like I told you it was going to be that way, whenever you see her, you can know that what I'm telling you is also true. Because what seems impossible, like conception in a virgin, is going to happen. And when you go see Elizabeth and you see that she's six months pregnant, remember what I said is what Gabriel is getting at. Verse 38 then says, And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. So there's a contrast. You have the doubt of Zechariah and the faith of Mary. I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. There's obedience. And the angel departed from her. Let's keep going. 39. I know we're reading a lot, but we're, we're just making some observations as we go for the sake of time. It says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste. Don't mention, don't miss that. Like quickly, it means that she got up almost right away and she went. Obedience, right? Faith. It says she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. <clears throat> and again, we saw on the map just a moment ago, it's not a short walk, okay? She made a journey in obedience to go and find her cousin. And this is where it gets so cool. Verse 40 says, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Hey, Elizabeth, right? And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled, don't miss this, filled with the Holy Spirit. That was a powerful thing at the time, because that wasn't true of every believer. And yet here we see that this moment causes the Holy Spirit to rush into Elizabeth. This was powerful. And she exclaimed with a loud cry. Can you imagine? Mary walks in, hey Elizabeth, and she just goes nuts. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. She's heralding, right? She's saying that, that that baby you got, he's special. She's already been told this. She's heralding. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Verse 44. For, behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there should be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Here's what's really happened. And this is really cool. The, the implication seems to be that before Mary had a chance to even voice that all the, all the things that the angel had told her, the Holy Spirit rushed into Elizabeth as she affirmed all that the Spirit had told her. She doesn't even know the things that the, Spirit is, that the angel has told Mary, and yet she says, hey, all those things are true. She's like, you don't even know what things. She's like, doesn't matter. The Spirit's telling me they're true. Elizabeth was a voice. She was a herald to Mary from God, literally from God. I mean, the Holy Spirit fills her and speaks these words, and she is a herald that Mary's child is exactly who the angel said that he would be. That he would be son of the most high God. That he would be king whose reign would know no end. Let's talk about those things for a second. He will be the most high God. Son of the most high God. 
in Hebrew, they had this, this tradition where they would use the concept of saying son of to imply someone who had all the qualities of the father. So they'd say son of the most high God is saying more than just saying he's God's son. It's saying that he's going to bear all the qualities, the same qualities of his father. And that's a big deal. It would be like the way that we say he gets it honest. When you see shepherd or Zion acting up, you should say he gets it honest because I'm paying for my raising is another way that you guys may say that. He gets it honest. This is what they're saying. Is that he's saying he's son of the most high God. He's saying everything that's true of his father, who is not just not Joseph. His father is the most high God. Everything that's true of him is going to be true of this little guy that's about to be born. And that's the truth. That Jesus, as the son of the most high God, would have all the divine qualities of the father. He gets them honest. All the power. All the authority all the love, all the mercy, all the grace, all the wisdom, all the compassion, all of it, and especially the authority bound up in God was bound up in Jesus, the Son. This is no ordinary baby. He has the authority of God himself. He's also king whose reign will know no end. He's king whose reign will know no end. End, meaning that he has unlimited rule, not just unlimited power in rule, unlimited duration of his rule. That's foreign, right? No king lives forever. This one does. They longed for the eternal king promised to David and Solomon centuries prior. Second Samuel 7:16 says, Your house and kingdom will endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. Words like that were spoken to guys like David and Solomon, but you know what? Those guys were buried, they died. And yet, what's being said here is there's one to come after these guys in their lineage who will never die, at least will never stay dead. He would die, but he would live, and his kingdom would be forever. You see, they believed that this king would bring final victory for God's people. He would be their Messiah, and they really misunderstood because the kind of victory that this king brought was not victory over Rome. It wasn't victory over Babylon or Assyria or some Persian nation, empire. The king from the future generations of David's family would provide ultimate, eternal victory, not over a nation, and not just for Israel, but for all of God's people. And what is that victory? That Jesus planted the victory flag, not over a nation or a people, but over sin and death itself. Amen. That's why we sing that song. You know, there's something about the old hymns. Oh, victory in Jesus. What's the next part? Forever. You hear that, right? Forever. Now, you know how we can say that he's our Savior forever? Because the Savior lives forever. His reign is forever. He dominates forever. He has authority forever. We say he sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. How long? Forever. What that means is that if you are saved, there will never be a day that you aren't. Can we thank God for that? Because I don't know about you, but I give God a reason every day to say, man, this dude is bad. Guys, the fact of the matter is that if you are in Christ, there will never be a day that he will go back on that offer because he is our Savior forever, and his kingdom and his reign knows no end. That's why it says, call his name Jesus. Literally means Yah saves. God, Yahweh, prefix, Yah saves. That's what they're saying. Call him Jesus. That's a good name for him. Why? Because he's going to save. It's God's Savior born into this world. He is God's salvation. And John the Baptist knows this. <laughs> in the womb, six months in the womb, 
He knows this. That's why he leaps in the womb. He leaps while he's in utero. Isn't this amazing? There's a bit of a pro-life message here from God. Amen? A bit of a pro-life message, and that is that at six months in utero, John's soul responds to Mary's voice as the carrier of the Christ. By the way, the Christ, also in utero, is portrayed with genuine, full identity, though having only been conceived for mere days. What is the agenda of the Bible? It's not political, but it's life. God's word portrays these two in the womb as more than just a clump of cells. And I could not pass up the opportunity to state very clearly that God is a pro-life God. And so Elizabeth is heralding. She's saying, oh, get ready, girl. (laughs) Get ready. You see, Mary believes. She prepares him room as we sing. She prepares her heart. And I love the very next verses from Mary. If you see in your Bible, it may say a subheading of Mary's song of praise, the, the Magnificat. The words, the very first words are so neat. It says, and Mary said, I love this, listen, my soul magnifies the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Notice that she is preparing her heart for these things. Not just preparing for events. She's preparing for God to come and rock her world through this baby. I also love her reaction from Luke 2 when he is born and the shepherds come. It says in Luke 2, 18 and 19, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But verse 19 says something different about Mary. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them where? In her heart. She is creating space for God to move in the midst of these really neat details. These events are amazing, factual realities, but they are only life-changing realities if your heart receives them. And the first way that we want to talk about that today is that we are preparing our hearts for the Son, the King, and the Savior. That He is going to be the things that we mentioned a moment ago, Son of the Most High God. He has all the divine authority wrapped up in God, was wrapped up in that manger. He is King whose reign knows no end. Praise be unto God. The second thing, is that we are preparing our hearts for the light and life. For the light and life. I'm really on a Christmas song theme here, y'all. Light and life to all he brings. We sang that last week in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. You know, this part that we're about to look at has to be one of the most powerful and yet so often overlooked passages in all of the Gospels. Zechariah had been unable to speak for nine months. Some of you guys could use that. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Hey, by the way, Chris, um, I need to stick my foot in my mouth like three times every Sunday, so don't feel bad about earlier. Uh, That just happens. If you give somebody a microphone like me, bad things happen. Hopefully some good things are sprinkled in there too. But I love this passage because Zechariah was unable to speak for nine months, a first-time father, way up in years, respected priest, by the way, among his peers, but mute because of his doubt of God. And look at what happens next. This is so powerful, man. Luke 157. And, and I want you to really consider. It's so easy to read these words and forget that this is a real man, okay? This is a man who's a priest. He's one of God's holy guys, okay? A holy man who sees an angel, probably something that all the priests dreamed would one day happen. He sees an angel. And when given the opportunity to be faithful and obedient, he's a coward. And he doubts God. And as a result of that, 
he is mute for nine months. How shameful would that be? He wouldn't even be able to do his job. Shameful. And certainly feeling ashamed. And his son's about to be born. And he's looking at this moment thinking, this is why I'm mute, because I was faithless. Wrap your mind around that for just a moment as we look at the next part. Luke 157 says, Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. She bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father, which was their tradition. Verse 60. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet. And it says, Zechariah wrote, his name is John. Faith. That's faith. He's doing exactly what he was asked to do. He's redeeming himself here. And they all wondered, what? Why is his name John? Verse 64 says, and immediately, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke. And what did he do? He blessed God. He wrote his name as John. Redeeming that disobedience, doubt, and the very first thing out of his mouth is not, finally, I get to talk. Mm -mm. His very first words are, praise be unto God. Wow. And fear came on all their neighbors. Like, what in the world is happening? And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts. You hear the theme, right? All who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? John the Baptist, what is he going to do? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Zechariah goes from doubting and muted silence to faith and shouting and proclaiming God's praise. And then it says in verse 67, you see another theme here. John the Baptist has been filled with the Spirit in the womb. That's crazy, right? Elizabeth has been filled with the Spirit as she proclaims what God is going to do through this baby that Mary is holding. And now verse 67 says, let's just make it a family affair. And it says Zechariah is filled with the Spirit. And he goes and he speaks. <clears throat> and I'm not going to read all of this, but it is so powerful. I mean, Verses 67 all the way through 79 is, is this prophecy from Zechariah. And I'll be honest with you guys, man. As I read this, this, is, this never happens. I just started crying. I just started crying because I tried to put my, my mind and my eyes in his mind and in his eyes and in his mouth with so much regret about his own doubt, now redeeming that. And he says these words. Look at verses 76 through 79 as he wraps this up. He says, <clears throat> and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. Notice the name we've already talked about, the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. You're going to be a herald, he's saying. To give knowledge of, there's three things. Knowledge of, number one, salvation to his people. In the, number two, forgiveness of their sins. Because of the, number three, tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. And in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Do you think that Zechariah knows what's happening? You better believe he does. 
He knows exactly who this guy is going to be. He's going to be the Christ, the one who gives salvation and forgiveness and portrays the mercy of God, who gives light to those who sit in darkness, who is himself the prince of peace, the prophet of the most high God. Jesus was not just a herald. He was the accomplisher of mercy from God, not giving us what we deserve but giving us what we don't, which is the grace of God, the favor of God. And what is that shown most profoundly in? It is shown most profoundly in seeing the salvation of our God. His name is Jesus, for goodness sake. He is Yah, God saves. This is why I think when John the Baptist saw him in John 1, you know what he said? He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb. You know what they did with lambs? They killed them. They sacrificed them because they were substitutionary deaths in place of another. When John says, behold, the Lamb of God, he's saying that one is going to lay down his life for us. And it is only through that that we can have salvation, peace, as he says. And so, in light of that, let every heart prepare him room. You know, Zechariah didn't at first. He did not prepare his heart. Perhaps caught off guard, his heart was not ready, but God was merciful and patient with him. When given the opportunity, he doubted, and his heart was not prepared for that, and so he had a hard time. But God was merciful, and I really think that that is analogous of many of us. Guys, the Christmas season sees many things occupying our hearts, doesn't it? We see things like a very busy schedule, shopping, to-do lists, stress, busyness, worry, and so many things cloud our minds and cloud our hearts that it's honestly hard to prepare room for the only thing that really matters at this season. And we get so clouded and caught up in the, the mess that we forget to make much of the Messiah. And I think we can empathize with this guy. Caught off guard. Doesn't December feel like it sneaks up on us? Caught off guard by this season. And we know it's coming. We know God's faithful. And yet so often when it's time to deeply experience God, our hearts are not ready for that. Focused on everything but the main thing. Or maybe you're just in a season of such darkness, whether it be spiritual darkness or circumstantial darkness, and you come to this thing, you see, I mean, you see this, and you th- it's, like, it's like Christmas is just exploding around you on the TV, in the, in, the, in the church building, you're driving down the street and you see reeds hanging from street lights. What, the, what in the world is that all about, right? But you see it all around you and you just think, I'm not ready for this. My heart's not ready for this. The one time that I'm supposed to feel so jolly and happy and joyful, it's just not happening for me this year. I think there's a reason for that. And that is that we need God's help to prepare him room. Notice the common theme that's woven throughout this text, and that's that the Spirit of God is working in people's hearts. And he was filled with the Spirit, and she was filled with the Spirit, and he was filled with the Spirit. There's a message there for us, is that number one, God is merciful and patient. He was with Zechariah, and he is with you. But also, that Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist either were filled and empowered by the Spirit. Do you want to prepare him room today? Ask for God to do it in you. God's Spirit moves and mobilizes and empowers and moves in us, on us, and through us. 
And so if you're struggling with that this year, ask him for help. Ask God to do in you what you cannot do in yourself. Prepare him room that he would move. You know, for some of us, Christmas is about holiday and vacation maybe and family and gifts and feasts and historical events, but it struggles to be about light and life. And that's probably because we have, we have a hard time preparing him room in our hearts. <clears throat> and so I think there's a couple of ways that we can apply today. Number one, that many of us need to ask God to sort of reshape our hearts today. So busied out and stressed out and worried out and to-do listed out. And you just need to ask God to come in and clean house. And today, that's many of you. You may be saved, but you just feel clouded, like your spirit is on mute. And you need to ask God to clean house and reshape you today. But some of you don't have light in life today <clears throat> because you never have. Because you've never asked God to save you from the sin that plagues you. That darkness is not just a season, it is a lifetime experience. Because you've never come to a point where you said, God, I have no hope in this life unless you do something amazing in me. God, I've been trying, I've been striving, I've chased everything except for you. God, give me hope where there is none. You can prepare him room today. Trust that God is the most high, that he has authority over everything, and that includes and powerfully includes your sin. You can trust that Jesus wins now and forever, that he is the eternal king, and that in the end, the second advent victory will come in the name of Jesus. Praise be unto God. That Jesus saves any and all who prepare him room, that Christmas is a celebration. It is joy to the world. It is joyful, joyful. We adore thee because he is exactly who he said he was, is. But there's one part that I just, I haven't really talked about from the last two verses we read just a moment ago, and I want to close with that. Praise team, you guys can go ahead and, and come up, okay? <clears throat> this last part in the last two verses, verses 78 and 79, the last part of this prophecy from Zechariah, it says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby, listen to this, the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. Sunlight and darkness, light of the world in darkness. Darkness, light and life to all he brings. There's a part at the end of that song that says this, hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. Did you guys pay attention to that when we sang that? Hearts unfold. You see the image, right, of a flower that is like this, and then as it faces the sun, it just sort of blooms and becomes all that it was meant to be. That's what hearts do when they turn to God. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, opening to the sun above. You know, guys, a flower will only fulfill its purpose if it looks to the sun, the S-U-N, that gives its life. And it does not have its purpose fulfilled until it looks to the sun, S-U-N. I say to you today that you will only find fulfillment, all that you were created to be, if you look to the sun, the S-O-N, that is your source that can give you eternal life. There's just something about these songs. My prayer today is that your heart would unfold like a flower that turns to its source of life, that ours is not in the sky, big, bright, and yellow, 
but ours will come from on high to redeem those that are his.